for undertaking this courageous practice. It sounds a little, I think, silly to say this, but because it doesn't sound courageous, but to keep kindness, to keep goodwill in mind. That's really our job. And I think, from my personal experience, it's really a movement of confidence or faith that this heart is capable of goodness, of being friendly. And we can just check now, because we're going to be checking, hopefully, countless times. Is this heart capable of being friendly? Even with, in terms of our own life, am I willing to be close to my experience because I care right now? Am I willing to wish well for myself? Am I deserving of wishing well for myself? May I be safe and protected from harm? Does my heart have that capacity, that capacity to be generous and to wish well for myself with sincerity? May I be safe and protected. May my heart be happy and peaceful. May I be strong and healthy. And may I take care of this life with ease. I do care about this life right now. I care enough to show up in a sense to be close, to be connected. <clears throat> and I care enough to again wish well in the most simple way. May I be safe and protected May I be happy and peaceful, strong and healthy, and may I take care of this life with ease. about those around us. You know, we have, maybe we can, maybe that can be real, that we care about this heart, this life. It's okay to look around a little bit. <laughs> you know, but there are people in the room, and probably you don't know personally a lot of the folks here, but it's pretty obvious that they have a life like we have a life, a body, a conditioned mind. Just as I care about my own well-being, my own safety, 
Is it much of a stretch to feel some connection with those around us, even the banana slugs on the trails and the other creatures and the staff and the neighbors? May all the living beings here in the room and around us, maybe may they be safe and protected from harm. May they have a happy and peaceful evening under the big trees. May all my community here be healthy and strong, living with ease, May all of us together, myself included, all those around me, near and far, nobody left out, may we all together be safe and protected from harm. May wisdom and goodness protect us. May our hearts be happy and peaceful, and may we all be strong and healthy, living with ease, navigating our lives with ease and joy. So we're going to get really good at starting over. And it's often like the basic movement of metta is checking, like not forcing it, but checking, does my heart have the capacity to be friendly? And even (laughs) when it feels like something habit, energy, or whatever, is screaming, no, you know, I'm really invested in my irritation right now, or really invested in my aversion right now. It's like, the practice doesn't give up. Well, I can be friendly with that. You know, I can be friendly with your fit, your reactivity, your whatever. It's like I remember Sylvie Borstein has a little teaching, you know, we can always write another chapter. So even if we're having a full-blown aversion attack and everything is bothering us, even the big trees are bothering us, the banana slugs, and people who seem to be radiating loving-kindness around us, everything bothers us. But we can have metta with that. We can be friendly. Oh yeah, sometimes it's like that. Remember that the real technical definition of metta is the absence of ill will. So Kamala was mentioning that earlier this afternoon. Because otherwise we can have this 
contrived idealistic sense, you know, whatever image of ourselves being full of love might look like or feel like, it's a real setup. And of course there are times when <clears throat> we're fortunate and the conditions come together and there really is um, a beautiful blossoming of that attitude, that quality of love. It's very real, it's very sincere, and it's surprisingly transforming and powerful. Like, I don't know if you know the line from Walt Whitman, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. I'm larger and better than I thought. I did not think I held so much goodness. Right? Sometimes that's our experience. That expansive and generous upwelling of metta, that natural, real friendliness, goodwill, kindness. And it's not that somebody's trying to be kind or good, it's just the heart's response. But a lot of times it won't be that radiant, expansive, boundless quality of love or friendliness. It will be that relative absence of ill will. And even, you know, I don't know if you remember or caught the point Kamala was making, but even being the one who's willing to keep the person and the phrase in mind, right? It's like, uh, that's so <laughs> different than what our mind is normally doing. You know, aspiring to keep a benefactor, somebody who's really been there for us, <clears throat> or to keep ourselves in mind, and to find the wherewithal to wish well in a simple, uncontrived way. May you be happy. May I be happy. May I be at ease. It's not asking a lot, you know, but it will feel at times the mind, <clears throat> the conditioning of the mind will rebel, you know. Part of the conditioning of the mind prefers revenge fantasies and aversive dramas and complaining and blaming and, you know, aversion can be juicy. But uh, the thing about metta practice is hopefully we've had some experiences we can draw on where that the naturalness and the transforming um, quality of metta, uh, we remember it and we feel moved, even in the memory of it, we feel moved like about its potential. There's that. And then it just, I just on a basic level, it's like, yeah, I trust relating to myself, relating to my benefactor, relating to the moment, to the beings around me in a friendly way. It just makes a lot of sense. I mean, even on an intellectual level, 
we sort of know that ill will doesn't work, even though we can clearly, easily get caught up in it, right? <clears throat> but you know, if we interviewed a lot of people, is ill will a functional attitude to use as your sort of main approach <laughs> to living your life? There are not going to be a lot of people, you know, writing articles, ill will is the way. And we know that, we, we know how it burns, we know how entangling it is, we know how it doesn't lead anywhere but exhaustion and, and often, at least at times, ruined relationships. You know, basically scars externally in our relationships, internally, energetically in our heart and body, these wounds of uh, yeah, places where there's been real hatred. I think in the tradition somewhere it's likened to a, a forest fire in the sense that, you know, it seems innocent enough to get caught up in some aversion, but like a small fire can lead to a bigger fire. It's the same way with aversion, you know, we indulge in our petty grievances, our little internal lawsuits, but they really build up some force. So even though it will feel contrived because we're offering this structure for the metta practice, it's just a way, uh, a very simple and powerful way to learn how to keep metta in mind, how to stay close, how to keep planting, supporting seeds for a more natural expression of metta. Like Kamala mentioned this afternoon, you know, where we can, where the upwelling, just a natural, generous upwelling of the heart that sense is real, we don't necessarily need the person or the phrases anymore because we have that generous, that generosity of the goodness itself that's right here, right now, like a light radiating out to the, initially to the person maybe we were keeping in mind and practicing sending the well wishes to, but then we realize that that generosity, that goodness, isn't actually specific to the person we were working with. But there's something about metta that's inclusive. I'm sure you've had this experience. We're going to try to recognize it more and more often these next few days. Like you're, you're plug in away with your phrases, with the category that we're working on. Kamala mentioned, you know, we're working with the benefactor and oneself. We'll move on to loved ones and neutral people tomorrow and difficult people, all beings. But uh, when the momentum builds, the conditions come together and there's just a strong, clear, enlivening sense of metta that 
basic goodness, the goodwill, the friendliness, then let just let it shine out, radiate out. It's its nature to be inclusive. I think in the tradition they have this nice simile about metta in the same way that water knows how to fill any container, any vase. Metta knows how to show up in any moment, knows how to be friendly in any situation. And in the nights, um, Kamala and I will be talking about the different expressions of metta. When it runs into suffering, we call it compassion. When that basic goodness runs into something that's beautiful, it's, a, it's mudita, it's that appreciative joy. And when conditions are confusing or ambiguous or whatever, we can have that radiant balance we call equanimity. Oh yeah, sometimes it's like this. I don't even know what it's like, but sometimes it's like this. And I can be connected now. I can wish well now, even though I don't know which end is up. But it's like this. There's a passage I like, a, a good friend sent this to me a while back. I didn't even know about this author, Gwendolyn Brooks, if you know of them. Uh, they won the Pulitzer Prize for poetry, and this is, I think, maybe her only novel uh, published in 1953, an African-American writer. And the novel is Maud Martha. Go home to your children, she urged, to your wife or husband, she opened the trap, the mouse vanished. Suddenly she was conscious of a new clean, cleanness in her. A wide air walked in her. A life had blundered its way into her power, and had, it had been hers to preserve or destroy. She had not destroyed. In the center of that simple restraint was creation. She had created a piece of life. It was wonderful. Why, she thought, as her height doubled, why, I'm good. I am good. She ironed her aprons. Her back was straight. Her eyes were mild and soft with a godlike loving-kindness. Isn't that great? <laughs> I had a tiny little example of this. There's a big spider in the shower in the cabin sitting there for the last 24 hours. I figured it's time for me to have a shower. You know, and instead of being irritated, I was just hoping eventually it would leave the shower stall, but it didn't seem to want to. Maybe there are other bugs in there to eat, I'm not sure, but... So I came, but I just... We're doing a meta retreat, I thought. I could be friendly. <laughs> so, just in a friendly way, it's like, I have no, you know, I realized I can be in relationship with the spider. I can actually, honestly, wish to do no harm, to not in any way relate to it with fear or ill will. And so, you know, the whole activity of coming here, there's one of those little vacuum pumps that for spiders in the entranceway, and I got that, and 
you know, just really like, I didn't, you know, know exactly how not to cause harm, but I knew that I didn't want to cause harm, that it wasn't worth it to rush or to do anything that might lead to causing harm. Luckily, it somehow didn't really work. I, the suction, you know, was supposed to pull it in, but I think it's just too big for it. So, but it stayed on the tip. I think it must have picked up on the metta. So, uh, he doesn't want to hurt me, and I probably, he needs a shower. <laughs> so it was just sitting on the tip of this thing, and it just stayed there until I could bring it outside and find a little corner for it outside. So hopefully it's doing well. But I mean, we can do the same things when we brush our teeth tonight, when we take off our clothes and put on the pajamas, or everything, every, even though we may not be catching each other's eyes, when we pass, it's not like you, you know, it's not like we're telling you to break your concentration with the phrases or the individual you're working with, but if awareness is aware that you're passing somebody on the trail, then let that awareness of that person, because it's already there, you're already aware there's a person you're passing, let it notice that it can have that friendliness. And if it shows up as a silent wish, may you be at ease, may you, may you have a good sleep tonight, great. But it doesn't even have to be in words, it can just be that sense of friendliness. Because that's partly what we're doing, even though we're using these categories and we're using the phrases a lot, remember, it's not to get really good at keeping somebody in mind and repeating phrases. That keeping somebody in mind and using phrases is in the service for that light, enlivened, actual sense of metta. It's a real, for lack of a better way of saying it, it's a real attitude, a real quality of the heart. But it's, you know, it's... <laughs> We have a lot of baggage around love and friendliness, so we have to be willing to be real learners. And because it may be that lightness, that radiance of loving kindness, the you know the heart that is empty of aversion and ill will. We we want a lot of freshness about what that is. Because it's just so much easier for us to contrive or imitate some ideal that's in our mind. And um, that will eventually, if not right away, ring false. Like, I'm trying to force something. I'm trying to live up to something or become something. As opposed to using the category we're working with at any time and using these simple phrases and making them real, so that, like Kamala, you know, used the image of cranking the car, right? It's like that the person we're holding in the mind and the phrase we're repeating, it's like we're really aiming, based on our confidence that this heart is capable of being good, we're really aiming with the phrase and the person we're keeping in mind 
to touch that truth that this heart is capable of that generous wish. May you be at ease. May I be at ease. So wherever you want to start, the benefactor as a category is meant to be somebody where the relationship, you know, when we bring the moments of knowing that person, being with that person, relating to that person, and it may be somebody you've never met, but you just, the relationship you have in your own heart, it has a kind of purity so that it's relatively easy for the heart to wish well in a natural and in a pure way. <laughs> I always feel a little funny saying this, but for some people, the benefactor may be a pet because of the purity of the relationship. It's just so easy for that goodness to arise with that person. It'd be wonderful if we had a Buddha in our life, somebody who, who always held us in this unconditional love, you know, and then when we brought them to mind, the heart would just reflect back how we've been held in such a, a friendly, loving way. But, you know, a lot of our relationships, even those mentors and teachers of ours and aunties and uncles who've really been there for us, they're often complicated. So you just start, it just has to be good enough, the person we're bringing to mind and using as our benefactor or easy person. Same with ourselves. I mean, the advantage of working with ourselves is, it's not that we're perfect <laughs> or that we've taken care of ourselves perfectly. I don't know anybody like that. But the thing about our own life that's very clear to us is it isn't easy being a human being. So we have this kind of earthy, we can at least have this earthy relationship with ourselves. But it's also complicated, as Kamala mentioned. And part of it will be <clears throat> whether you're working with yourself or working with your benefactor or as we move to the other categories, whoever you're going to be bringing to mind. And even when we're working with these specific categories, we'll often end the, you know, the sit or the walking period with letting the kindness, the goodness be more all-inclusive of all beings, right? But it, it's really about what we're choosing to bring to mind. You know, when I, when I bring my cat to mind, I don't bring to mind the fact that he likes to hunt little baby rabbits. That's not what I bring to mind, you know? What I bring to mind is that when he lets me hold him, he's not sort of a lovey-dovey cat, you know, but he'll let me hold him for about 90 seconds. <laughs> and for 90 seconds, he really seems to appreciate being hold, held, and I really appreciate holding him, and we have our moment, looking out a window or something, both really appreciating having those seconds together. And uh, there's a real purity in that, because I'm not trying to get something from him. I'm, I'm really interested in this mutuality of giving and receiving, this, that generosity. 
freely given, freely received, feels very pure and good. No ill will. Pretty sure in those moments there's no ill will. And when I bring to mind some of my teachers, which I do sometimes when I'm working with the benefactors, you know, as you get to know your teachers or mentors or, you know, just, like I said, they're, not, they're human beings. <laughs> so it, it really matters, like, what do I bring to mind? You know, so the particular mental image, picture I have, you know, it's like a, some image that reminds me of their beautiful qualities. Because it opens my heart. It makes my heart want to wish well. So it's, it's never so much that, oh, i got to wish well. <laughs> Where am I going to find that generosity of heart? It's like, what do we bring to mind? What words, what phrase that um, <clears throat> naturally are the supporting causes for that upwelling, that generous, natural willingness or wholesome desire to wish well for myself or for another. So that's why, you know, when Kamala gave that three things, the person, or if we're working with all beings, the people, or the, you know, all beings, even not, not even just human beings, so the person or the individual, the being, the phrases, and the felt sense. And we can't force the felt sense. So what substitutes for the felt sense when there isn't a felt sense is the confidence that the heart is capable of goodness. And there's a lot of time when we're just at the level of the person and the phrases and not necessarily an obvious felt sense, but, but still some confidence. Oh yeah, I know I love my cat. I know I appreciate my teacher or this benefactor, but this is what I'm feeling. And we have to be okay. We have to have metta for however dry it might feel. I was mentioning to Kamala, my first uh, uh, formal loving-kindness retreat, it was at Insight Meditation Society, it was a nine-day loving-kindness retreat in the mid-90s, I think. And uh, I just remember there was a time, you know, you might have thought it was funny when Kamala had the handout passed out to everybody. But it's like, my mind is really rebelling. And I had to sit, some of the sits I would sit with my eyes open, looking at my sheet, like in my room, when we didn't have instruction. And I would make myself read it, because it was like, the mind was a rebel, you can't make me. And I would say, yeah, we're doing this. <laughs> and I would read the phrase, and I'd read the next phrase, and I'd read the next phrase. And then, it just, some, it, you know, there was just some resistance in my mind. And so then I had to do a lot of walking metta. And like Kamala said, I would coordinate the phrases with the stepping. And somehow it's like, you know, from here to the end of my, you know, 30-foot uh, pathway, you know, I would say the phrase. I'd stop and turn around, and I'd do the next phrase. And I'd stop and I'd turn around, and I'd do the next phrase. 
because I had confidence, not even so much that my heart was capable, I probably had some doubt about that, you know, because we do have some doubt, like, am I capable of being loving and generous and wishing well? It doesn't seem like it. But I had confidence that there was nothing dangerous in holding this person and repeating these phrases, like, if that's dangerous or hurtful or harmful, we're really, you know, this is not a safe world anymore. Right? How could that be dangerous or harmful? No, it's good. And it's especially good compared to what my mind would otherwise be doing. So it really made me just stay with it. And it wasn't like that all the time, of course. There's some real beautiful openings, but a lot of it, some of it at least, was a real slog, you know, just sticking with the practice and doing it again and doing it again. And, you know, it's really appropriate to pause, like if we just feel we're just drumming things out, and then just remember, you know, and you might need a phrase to sort of prompt, like, is this heart capable of being good, capable of wishing well? Yeah. I know it is. Anybody, I mean, doesn't mean it will respond when we ask it to, but is there anybody who doesn't notice or remember moments of that natural kindness? I mean, little interactions that we've had, appreciating someone letting us into the highway when we were driving to Cloud Mountain, or a smile. I still remember a hug I got from a kindergarten teacher. I, I taught at a, a public, I mean, a private elementary school in Oakland, California for a number of years in the 80s. And then I left and uh, we were all really close. It was a very sweet place to teach and work. And uh, I didn't even know this kindergarten teacher that well, although we had sort of worked at the same school. But uh, she just gave me a hug when I was leaving, and it was just such a generous, uncomplicated hug. It's like, I just felt she wished well, and that she just loved me unconditionally. And it, it just continues to reverberate. And it's just, uh, I so appreciate that. It reminds me, like, of what's possible. And of course, when we are willing to receive something like that, that's also really generous, to let someone be loving, you know, to receive what comes our way. You'll see this more and more as you get more momentum, where sometimes your heart is radiating out the, you know, the generosity of kindness and wishing well, and sometimes it's like receiving all the love, your own love, but because it, it's really the absence of aversion that characterizes metta. And when we're really sensing the generosity of the sun and the generosity of the bird songs and the generosity of being in community, the goodness of us being here together like we're here together. 
and just receiving that, you'll see there's very little aversion and fear in those moments, for moments. And part of what we're doing is really recognizing that, because that develops that third piece, which turns out ultimately to be the most powerful, is that felt sense, that direct experiencing of metta. It's really getting familiar, oh, this is the heart, not tainted by ill will and aversion. Oh. How about this heart right now for us? You know how it is sometimes when you ask, someone asks a question like that, it's almost like we feel obliged, like, oh, I gotta bring something to mind that triggers my aversion to see if there's any aversion. You know, I'll bring a politician to mind and see if some aversion comes up. As opposed to, it's like, we want to uh, retrain the mind, especially in a retreat like this, to be bringing to mind what allows the metta to stay alive. So when we're using these different categories, we move on to the, you know, we're, we're teaching sort of a curriculum, so we're going to move through the different categories each day. But when you're practicing on your own, you know, we move to the more challenging categories of loving-kindness when uh, it's, we sense that natural abundance. Uh, one of my teachers, uh, Venerable Analio, is a German Buddhist monk. And this just comes from the tradition, but it's, it's a nice way to think of the skills that we're learning in doing metta practice. We're learning how to arouse it, to remember that the heart has this capacity. How do I remember? Well, when I bring my benefactor to mind and I repeat this phrase, I start to notice this felt sense that the phrase and the bringing the person to mind evokes something in the heart, this upwelling this radiance. So we need to have the skill, the create it's really a creative skill. Like they're not one way. I mean we will teach a basic formula, but there's room for creativity in how you use the phrases, how you hold, bring the person to mind, who you bring to mind. So we need to know how to arouse it. And then once we've aroused the felt sense of metta, to, to distinctly sense that upwelling, that it has a kind of expansive or radiant quality. It wants to include, it wants to go out, even though we might have uh, prompted it with the particular person, when it has a little force, a little momentum, you'll sense that upwelling. We call it the generosity of friendliness. So that's the second, it's like having the wherewithal to sense the generosity of the heart. Even while you're repeating the phrase, you still may be repeating the phrases, holding the person, but now you're really sensing this radiant, this generous, this upwelling sense right here. 
and the heart and mind. Oh, okay, can I keep that in mind? Notice that. And then that matures, that sense of upwelling matures into a more boundless quality. The words the Buddha used uh, when he was teaching metta, I will abide, pervading the first quarter, second, third, fourth, with this heart imbued with metta. Above, below, all around, everywhere and every way, I will abide, pervading the all-encompassing world with metta. Abundant, exalted, boundless, immeasurable. Right? So this is sort of the full maturing of metta practice. Without hostility, without ill will. So those are the words. In, in the suttas, and the discourses, this way of teaching loving-kindness is offered many times. And it actually it's used for all four of the Brahma Viharas, so compassion, which uh, Kamala will talk about tomorrow night, and mudita, appreciative joy, and then equanimity. But just this quality of boundless, like the quality of metta, friendliness, is so, in a sense, well-established in the heart, that whatever the heart knows, whatever I'm experiencing, is free of ill will, is in the radiance of metta. You know how that is, like if you have a really beautiful heart-opening experience, you know, if you remember the moments after that heart-opening experience, it's like the flowers the grass, the stoplights, the trash on the street, everything has a different hue because the mind isn't operating with its usual ill will and aversion and irritation. It's operating with metta. So we, uh, we need to learn how to arouse and what makes you know, what makes the arousing easy is when we notice that generosity, because there's a natural feedback mechanism when we crank that car enough, with enough sincerity, sticking with it, being steadfast, with the phrases, with the category, the, the person we're working with. Then when we have a stronger felt sense, because there's a good feeling with that, upwelling of the heart, that makes it a lot easier. The heart's actually attracted to coming back because it feels good. It's healing, it's enlivening, it's brightening, both for the body and the mind. And then the boundless is just letting that develop naturally and then noticing that everything in the field of awareness is beautifully colored by the metta, the absence of aversion. And we just notice that there's nothing untouched. Nothing in my experience in the present moment is untouched by the metta. That's what the boundlessness is really pointing to. 
And then the last point that Venerable Analia, this German monk, makes, the final skill is to let the idea of me doing the metta practice drop away. So it's a more full abiding or trusting being the metta instead of doing it. And that's, you know, even in uh, with uh, mindfulness practice, there are moments when the mindfulness is no longer a chore. It's just there's enough momentum that the nature of the mind is to be mindful for as long as that momentum lasts. And when that's true with our metta, then just be metta. And when you're no longer being metta, pick up the category and the phrases and do the work of arousing it and sensing the having that, noticing that felt sense of the metta, that uplifting, upwelling, generous quality. And let it, when it can, become boundless. That everything you're seeing and thinking and touching and experiencing is colored by that absence of aversion, that kindness. And then really tease out any sense of somebody having to do something. <laughs> I often, when I'm giving a talk on Metta, I often read this quote, just because I find it so funny. And I really like how Ajahn Sumedho, he's a, an American Buddhist monk, one of the elders in our early Buddhist tradition here in the West. He's been a monk for a long time. He's in his mid to late 80s now. And uh, yeah, I, I just like how he talks about metta in such a down-to-earth way. But when he moved, uh, after being uh, practicing with Ajahn Chah in Thailand, he moved to England to create a Western uh, monastery in the Thai forest tradition. And he asked the folks when he first arrived, do you practice metta? And some of the people said, oh, we can't stand it. <laughs> and he asked why, and they said, uh, uh, well, what do you think it is, he asked. And they said, well, it's that kind of smarmy whitewashing of your mind where you say you love absolutely everything. You're supposed to try to convince yourself that you love your enemies and that you love yourself. Can you imagine spending an hour just thinking about how you love everything? So he goes on, he says, I realized that they really didn't understand metta. Metta is not an idealistic state of mind. Metta does not necessarily mean liking anything at all. It means an attitude of not dwelling on the unpleasantness or faults of any situation inside or outside oneself. Now with metta, one isn't blinding oneself with an ideal, right? So there's no fixed view. Instead, one is witnessing the unpleasant in a situation, thing, person, or in oneself without creating anything around it. You simply stop the mind from thinking, I hate it, I don't want it. That's what I consider to be metta. Now, metta can be more than that, but that's a huge step to 
I mean, it's, it's really the sort of wisdom end of metta is reali- realizing the dysfunction of aversion in all of its forms, even the very subtle, seemingly innocent expressions of aversion. Aversion just doesn't help. We don't need it. And it doesn't mean we don't need, you know, there's a teaching in Buddhism wholesome regret, wholesome concern. It's like how the past informs the present. Like if you got bit by a dog when you're a kid and you see a dog, your past is going to inform the present moment. You have some concern. Is this a dangerous dog like the one, you know, 30 years ago or something like that? So there will be, you know, the past is going to inform the present moment. But we can be aware, like, uh, it's an information system, and we can have metta for that too, the kind of conditioning that gets triggered. Oh yeah, I'm anxious, and I can, I don't have to have ill will towards that anxiety. Because otherwise, you know, you hear something like that, and then we think, oh boy, I'm in trouble because I have a lot of ill will. And it's just, then all of a sudden, because of the force of habit, we feel justified in being afraid of our ill will or having aversion to our ill will. And on and on it goes. Or, you know, even more neurotic is we start having ill will towards other people's ill will. I see that a lot in my relationship with my partner. Uh, Wynn, who's the co-founder of Common Ground Meditation Center, where I teach in Minnesota, in a you know really wise, one of our teachers and a really wise person, and my beloved. <laughs> but you know it's sort of so telling, like about the insanity of aversion, when I notice myself being averse to her aversion, but in a self-righteous sort of way, like how cool am I to notice? that their aversion is unskillful. <laughs> but that's how it is. I mean, that's the real addiction of aversion. It seems rational to be hateful, aversive, fearful, to be tight, but it isn't. And this is, the, this is really the, the liberation of metta. It's considered, uh, in the tradition, you don't need deep insight and you don't need full jhana to get a taste of the heart that's liberated. Because in those moments, whether it's in your formal practice or the conditions are just right and your heart opens in a very natural, loving way, and temporarily there's no fear and aversion during that blossoming of metta, that is a temporary liberation of the heart from ill will and aversion, and probably greed to a large degree. And so we get a sense of what's possible. But we tend, you know, part of what we're doing is we're making sure that we notice loving-kindness, like we don't miss those moments. And we're increasing the probability by doing the practice. 
maybe you've read this, Sharon Salzberg tells a, a nice story about this, where they, if you don't know, Sharon Salzberg really uh, so important of helping to bring the loving-kindness practices into just generally the West and the world. Um, but in particular in the insight meditation community, initially with their book, um, Loving-Kindness, The Revolutionary Art of Happiness, which even though it was written a long time ago, I find just a brilliant book. I encourage people who are really serious about their practice to, to read through it. But uh, Sharon tells this story of doing some uh, metta practice, I think when they were staying at IMS, but just on their own, doing some practice. And then something, I forget the details, interrupted her, maybe it was a month or six week uh, amount of time that they had. So somewhere in the middle, they had an end and there was a sense of disappointment because you know, just doing all the work to kind of build the momentum and then having to leave. You know, we always have that sense that I'm going to be a good yogi, a good meditator, and somewhere to, toward the end of the retreat, I'll start get, bearing, getting the fruits of my good practice. And, but anyway, Sharon had to leave and packing up and dropped a bottle and it broke on the sink or something like that. And the first thing that came out of her mouth was something like, you idiot, or I forget the exact phrase, but something like that. And the next phrase is, I really care about you, or I really love you, <laughs> or may you be at ease, or something that, but it wasn't forced, it wasn't contrived, it was just there. Like, both the habit of aversion and that unconditional moment of acceptance and understanding, oh yeah, and I care about this. Right, that metta knows how to include this too. Not just the this of breaking the bottle, but the this of relating to the breaking the bottle with aversion, but that could be included. Metta knows how to meet that too. Oh yeah, sometimes it's like this. And I don't have aversion to breaking the bottle or to reacting in the way the mind reacted, because I know how to hold that. So I'll just end, and it's a nice way to put us, aim us to the end of our first day, which for those of you who haven't been on retreat uh, before, it can be hard to get through the first day. So these are two passages from <clears throat> the Buddhist teachings on metta. This is what we want our grandmothers to chant to us when we're children and they're putting us to bed. Our wise friends and grandmothers, wherever I go, I am unafraid. Wherever I sleep, I am unalarmed. The nights and days do not burn me. I see nothing in this world that is to be lost. Therefore my heart dwells in goodwill and kindness to all beings until I fall asleep. And then uh, in the tradition, these are the blessings of metta. Monks, practitioners, when universal love leading to liberation of mind is ardently practiced, developed, unrelentingly resorted to, used as one's vehicle, made the foundation of one's life, fully established, well consolidated, and perfected, 
then these eleven blessings may be expected. What eleven? One sleeps happily, one wakes happily, one does not suffer bad dreams, one is dear to human beings, one is dear to non-human beings. The devas, the angels, celestial beings, protect one. No fire or poison or weapon harms one. One's mind gets quickly concentrated. The expression on one's face is serene. One dies unperturbed. And even if one fails to attain higher states, deeper awakening, one will at least reach the state of the Brahma world. Practitioners, when universal love leading to liberation of mind is ardently practiced, developed, unrelentingly resorted to, used as one's vehicle, made the foundation of one's life fully established, well con consolidated and perfected, then these eleven blessings may be expected. So that's smile and appreciate the path we're on. So thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.